so I've I've just been in a in a hole for about a month or two now where I just you know the 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 process of recording a song which is fun and I'd be open to like talking about that and I don't know I feel like we don't really I don't, it's like this strange thing that I don't understand that you go and do. (laughs) I really don't understand. I mean, I understood how a song was done on Broadway. You learn it, you, you know, play, the orchestra comes in and you've rehearsed it and you, it's collaborative and it happens in the moment. But this seems so studied and difficult and every beat is stared at and would tell me well yeah it's like i it's like i live uh two two lives it, it, it's almost felt like since i've started uh taking the process kind of seriously um just because i don't know how to talk about it you know like i don't know how to <laughs> i don't know how to talk about what what i'm going through but i'm spending so much time doing it like i realized i don't know what what what's going on in the news right now like i there's so much like that doesn't sound just, like a hole to me though that sounds like a deep dive yeah yeah i think right? i think that's a really fair way of putting it yeah, yeah. but but that so that was leading me to to my question of like is there is there something specific right now like right in in today in this moment that you feel like you are you are working through or acknowledging or thinking about more than more than usual. You know what I've been thinking about. Uh, I I saw a couple last night that had a very dark view of everything going on in the world. Um, where I saw it as maybe hopeful, they saw it as doomed. They said, "No, look at history; these things never works. Any any work, any kind of uprising, any kind of." you know, people going, no, let's do this differently. And I'm struggling today with thinking, am I curating my life? Am I seeing life as it is? I mean, to a certain extent, everyone curates their life and they see it through their lens. But I don't want to do it to the degree where I'm out of touch. Would it be fair to, like, bring up, because that makes me think of, these two viewpoints that I often consider having like one of which is that like the we we shared kind of you know the manifest positivity and everything will work out which I I do think that there's some truth is is this already on the wrong path to what you're talking about versus versus uh, that's like what I worry about. stoicism kind of like everything is bad and I'll learn to be happy within that structure well i kind of believe both things yeah yeah same i i I believe that that uh whatever happens in your life you can use it or it can use you up so there if if that's stoicism yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me but i fear that if i over curate and and what am I doing? Am I trying to avoid sorrow for what's going on in the world? How much sorrow can I take on? There is so much. Yeah. There's so much going on. And uh, how do I keep myself focused and going and useful uh, to some cause that I choose, whatever? I can't, I can't 
do everything, but I can certainly do my part. Yeah. Do so. Do I keep myself up and hopeful for that, or am I fading into some place that that is making me shut down uh, to to uncomfortable feelings? That's deep, and I feel like that's something that we've we've actually even talked about on the podcast before. Yeah, that's like where I am. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I when I was on my uh, drive here. Um, I heard just, I put on the news for a second in the car and, and it was all light bubbly stuff. And I was like, wow, slow news day. And then I went, no, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually like, a, 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 I don't know what the proper term would be for the situation in Iran right now. Like there, there's the the, the war in, in Ukraine. Yeah. Tragic. Like, I mean, there's so much going on and, 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 uh, I imagine that there's people going like in, in newsrooms or something like, no, we can't, don't touch that. Like we, we don't want to be, there has to be someone in charge of the news to, 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 to try and make it not negative all the time. There has to be like a positivity police on, on the news. I wonder, I wonder. Um, that might be their, the producer's job. Yeah. And, and, uh, so what's the thing, uh, you know, it seems to me women of my age find a lot of comfort in shows like Law and Order mm. or uh, or or any of the reality shows that usually deal with it's usually a woman dying. Well, I I could even relate to that like I I was saying I have nothing to watch to people and and they were saying, "Oh, you should watch Dahmer." Oh, and no. I I watched an episode and I was like, "Dude, this is the worst, I don't want to uh, put my energy into this world right now. Like, yeah. I, I don't know why that's number one on Netflix. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Maybe it's like a safe place to feel all the horror, you know, and then you can end it. It ends and you go, okay, no, you can't even say it's not real. I mean. Yeah. It. <sighs> it's just like. I don't uh, want to dive there. Exposure, exposure therapy to some degree maybe like uh, makes you less fearful. You of know, you have something there. Yeah. You do have something there. At uh, When Law and Order first came out, I couldn't watch it at all. And when we were in New Mexico and I'd put you to bed, I'd watch it and just the music uh, put me into remembering trauma and getting tense and worried and upset and usually I turn it off in New Mexico for whatever reason I went no watch this it mm. could be the only thing that came on <laughs> that, that I could get to I don't know after work but I watched it and there was an exposure therapy it was like no I can do this I can get myself through it well yeah I was I was even thinking that comparing I don't, I don't know if you're watching like Lord of the Rings or the Game of Thrones mm -hmm. that are on right now um but Anna and I have been watching both and and um I I privately noticed that in switching from Lord of the Rings like they both came out at the same time and they're both like epic fantasy kind of they're both trying to do similar things on TV mm -hmm. so it's easy to draw comparisons to to what what 
what feels more addicting in TV, like what feels like it draws you in more. And what I noticed with Lord of the Rings, or, or I guess what I noticed with Game of Thrones, was that there was there was a lot more trauma and a lot more high drama and like power struggles and insecurities that like I feel and I face when I watch that show. Mm. You know, there's something for everybody in terms of like uh, what what might make you thoughtful or what might make you turn in, even if it's not in a comfortable way, but they do it with tact and I think grace. And do you turn in? I think it's inevitable. I think I think when you become uncomfortable, you, you become aware of yourself. You know? Or you run away. Sure, but I think that that's what makes it good is that they, they keep it they keep it there just long enough and then it's a dragon shooting fire and a fight, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm shut off again. So it's like that I think the good writers are, are like switching switching you on and off as, as you go instead of like Lord of the Rings, it's kind of like I could step away at any moment, you know, because it's all just easy kind of, you know, no no offense to it's still a good show comparative to other shows, but like it doesn't ever make me uncomfortable. It's all it's all pure fantasy relationships. Everyone gets along. Everybody cares for everybody. Hmm. So, I find I have to have a chaser. I have to. It's like uh, if I watch anything serious on television at night, a m- movie, whatever. I have to watch something like Frasier before I go to bed. Totally. <laughs> I mean, do you I, do that? I remember that from growing up that it was always like I would either hear the Seinfeld yeah. theme song or, or Law and Order theme song. Yep, um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think you guys, for like 10 years maybe, just watched those two shows and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. That was mostly guided by me, I think. Uh, I'm the one who who needed to be able to get on top of all of that stuff, and then, but now, and now I look at the show and I go, "What? It's is this a good idea? Is it? Is it? I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. It was exposure therapy for me, but now I wonder if those shows are." perpetuating things i i do remember feeling like um maybe you were i i mean a natural amount of like fear for me going out in new york city on my own and i didn't have like the best track record of ending up in the like the prime situations for what a parent (laughs) would would want or expect but like no I do remember, at least in my brain, drawing lines between what you were watching on Law and Order and what you were afraid of happening to me as a kid. And I, I remember thinking that it was kind of like having an effect on, on, on how you how you viewed the world, like in terms of optimism or, or pessimism. It, it's possible that it had an effect, but also what had an effect was living on my own in the 70s in New York City because it was a very different place. And I'm not sure that I understood how different. Um, in 1970s New York was rough. It yeah. was really rough. Uh, I, I remember you just didn't get on a subway. I remember going to Central Park, and, you know, it's the broken windows theory, but you would see rats 
leaping through the grass. <laughs> I mean, all the time during the day. Right. So it was it, it was out of control. It was scary. There were roaming gangy type people who would surround you. Um, it, I'm saying it like it happened. It happened to me. So it it was it was traumatizing. Well, and and here's the thing: like I now I never had that experience in New York. Like I could, I felt very uh, embraced by the city. I felt like I could walk out of my room and like it would all be a pillow. You know, no matter mm. no matter what alleyway or whatever I I got into, and and that experience kind of proved to be somewhat true. Like I had many friends and I would just like, you know, they were, they were unhoused and like, you know, they were the, they were the chess guys that I, I would hang out with at the park. And then, you know, like the what were Occupy their Wall Street people. Did you, did you talk to them? Did what? There was, there was one that I, I actually followed around for a while. I think I told you about this, but I haven't talked about it on here, I guess. And, Tell and, me. Um, his name was Friar... Oh, gosh. I wish I knew. But he was... I spoke to him on the phone many times, and I, I ran into him one time at the chess forum. And How did you meet him? Uh, because I was friends with the owner of the chess forum, um, and I would go there for instant coffee it was like a dollar coffee and mm -hmm. and i would just hang out with him and the shop was empty and i wouldn't even really play that much but i just liked being there and one day it was full of people and uh i was interested in making movies at the time and writing stories and uh the owner i think his name is imad said um I, I wondered, I asked him why everyone was crowding around a certain table. And he said, because uh, of Friar Lombardi. And, and he, he, he just said, he's a tragic figure. And if you ever wanted to write a story, write a story about that man. And I was like, cool, I would love to. I'm late for class. But um, I, I came back like the next day to find him. And uh, Imad said, you good luck finding him. He, he, he doesn't have a house. And <laughs> so he told me a little bit more about him. And, and the guy is a, is a grandmaster, like a, like a, he, he trained, uh, Bobby Fisher and oh how to, God. how to play the game. So he taught the number one player and he, he at one point was number one himself. And well, I, I don't know if he was ever ranked number one, but he was like, um, air quotes, the best, you know, right. like... How old was he when you knew him? At that point, like 60, 70, and like, he had he had been evicted uh, twice, I think. His, his eviction story was in the New York Times, mm. because it was like, he somehow got away with not paying rent for nine years. Oh, wow. And and they, they had to finally evict him, and I guess the apartment situation wasn't too friendly when they cleaned it out but like yeah so when I met him he was living in the subways and I, I I would speak to him on the phone trying to like set up an interview and and when I called him like he was 
living in Connecticut, some family took him in to, to train their son. They said you could live here. Wow. But he was like telling me that it was like a jail and he was trying to break out and like <laughs> Do you mean he he preferred the streets? I, or I, or that situation? I think I, w well, I think that his story what I was pursuing and interested in and what we were kind of discussing was the the story of ego because he was just too proud to to be in Bobby Fisher's shadow. So when Bobby Fisher started to get success, the friar got kicked out of the church because he was too obsessed with chess. I think he was too obsessed with becoming better than Bobby Fisher, becoming better than the person that he trained. And before long, like, I, I think he just got so frustrated with real chess that he was only playing on the streets and some a long series of events and he, he just had no life left to live. He, his ego... And this wasn't a matter of drugs or alcohol or... Alcohol could have been a factor. Yeah. But I, I didn't... I Just on appearances alone, it didn't appear to be like a drug thing. Right. Like it, it just seemed like he was purely so obsessed with, with this sport and... Well, that's a drug. Yeah, and I think I think really hurt that he, that he trained someone to be better than him, and 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 Bobby Fischer had you know documentaries and biopics and mm. on the cover of the Chess magazine, and maybe all the things that he aspired to and never was able to get. And and did you get the interview? No, I never did. You never did. No, I I, I tried. I I got a group of uh, filmmakers ready to to move but he was in connecticut and then after that he i changed his phone number and then i think three years ago or four years ago when i saw imad last i think he he told me that he passed away mm. yeah i i tried and tried and tried i thought it was i was, it just felt it felt really interesting to me and it felt like a cool person to put uh to, to, to try and, and give a moment to, you know, I think that was my perspective was yeah. like, you've done so much for this sport, you know, and you've given so much and like, uh, you deserve your moment in some kind of spotlight. But what, did, what attracted you to that space? What was it? It was a chess club or they sold what? what? Yeah. They, I mean, they, they, uh, it was like a, they sold chess boards. It's still there, um, and they they had like little tournaments in there, and I would play chess sometimes. I mean, I was never very good, but I, especially like in college, I would. But it wasn't about chess, really, was it for you? I liked I Imad Iman. I'm not sure. I forget now. I, I, and I also just kind of felt comfortable in the environment. I don't know. Maybe it was mm. like some weird. Uh, uh, Arab part of you know like mm. some weird uh, having coffee and being around chess and 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 speaking to this uh, Arab business owner maybe that spoke to something deep inside of me you know but I, I, I it was also just very calm and and peaceful and you know right next to Washington Square Park so and so those people playing chess in Washington Square Park are are they homeless? Many of them, yeah. Really? Most of them, yeah. Because they're playing for for money. They they play... 
um, for like five bucks against a tourist, and it's kind of like a gimmick that you can't beat them. You know, they're, they're I see. a lot of them are would 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 like be really competitive in chess tournaments and just don't have the infrastructure to support that. They don't have the training and teams, but they have the the natural skill. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever play for five bucks? I did, like way before then, like in high school, and I, I got so severely destroyed that I never, <laughs> I never tried again. They really are good. They're really good. Yeah. Wow. And um, yeah, a few of them live in Union Square. I think uh, they live somehow in the train station, is what I heard. Um, but I'm not sure how how that works. There was a show years ago called. Uh, Oh, I can't think of what it was called. And Armin was in it. Armin Shimmerman. Um, uh, it was a Beauty and the Beast kind of thing. Was it Beauty and the Beast? Something like that. And it was about people who live in the subway systems in New York. And I always thought, well, that's a fantasy. But I guess somewhere hidden away, you know, like maybe there's some part of the train station that we never get to see. Well, I think there are shutdown sections. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that people do tours. Uh, like there are some, there were some hardcore New Yorkers that I had like mutual friends with that would do tours to like uh, the top of buildings that you weren't supposed to be able to get into at night. Like they, they broke in and then you get, you go onto the rooftop of really high, high building. Did you do that? No, never. never. Oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I get the the me what 15 years ago gets nervous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I go back in time and get nervous. I would go to like clearly and extremely abandoned like buildings sometimes. But never like to the top of some roof, you know, like never never like yeah. 60 stories up like, you know. And it, did you ever find anything weird or interesting or scary or no. Do you have any moments in those buildings? No, it was just like we'd play with a fire extinguisher, you know, like, <laughs> like just you, hang. You could have taken some unbelievable pictures. I think, I think, I think some friends of mine have, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Another friend of mine, I don't know if this is a particularly interesting story, but we, we snuck into um, the old bread factory in Brooklyn yeah. And like we, there is a way because it's right on the water. So it, it's clear like the fence ends and then you, you can go along this rocky path and end up underneath the building. And then there was a hole in the bottom of the building. So you could just hoist yourself up. Now, this is clearly illegal. Yeah, I don't, no, don't do this. Don't do this. And if I had known, I would have been dragging you back home yes. and putting you under yet other strict um, more, more, Yeah, More grounding. Yeah, more grounding. Um, <laughs> God. But so we stayed there for a good portion of the night. And then by like crack of dawn time, um, we didn't realize that the tide would have come up. Oh. <gasps> Oh, God. So <laughs> what began as this really easy rock path became like you have to jump from one rock to another rock six feet away. And, you know, we were we were co-ed at the time and then jumped to another rock another six feet away. 
And like, see, now wait a minute. Now let's go back to me being overly protective and worried about you in New York. But to me, that was a beautiful memory. I wouldn't want my kid doing that either. Yeah. But I, but but because I managed to do that, I'm I'm grateful. So these are the nights where I would open the door and see you in bed because you had just gotten home. Is that is probably that correct? or you were well? Or no, I thought like, you were staying with somebody. Yeah, and I would have stayed with them too. Yeah, but like you, you know, were, at night you were we go a, out and oh god, that but that that's not so atypical. Like in New York, it, it's more atypical, but in like New Mexico. I mean, I think that's kind of a way that people have always had fun, you know, like just exploring, like seeing things that you wouldn't see on your on your regular day to day. Yeah. And then you hear dum dum. (laughs) 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 Right. Right. No, I'm 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 very grateful that I um, that all that stuff worked out for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. You know, the state of the world, the pandemic and then just when we think okay all right we're getting through this they say okay another one's coming and it's worse and they also say uh the if you had covid you're going to have you it's possible you have symptoms for a long time so there's this heavy weight and there's this thing that i want to ask you about um that not just your generation but a lot of people are going through this quiet quitting Mm. which means you save your passion for something you're truly passionate about, but you're no longer willing, if you're employed by an institution or a person, you aren't going to give your all. You're not going to stay till 10 at night fulfilling their uh, goals. You're going to do your work and go home. So it means more work-life balance. But I wonder what... I wonder how you pull back from parts of your day like that. What do you think? Do you oh, know what I mean yeah. by pulling back? You, by you just mean doing like, enough? You mean like coming in at 70% that, you know, like not always being yes. present. Yes. Uh, 100%. Yeah. Doing a good enough job. Yeah. You summarized it really well, I feel like, what, what the what the thing is, you know, like what, what quiet quitting is at its essence. But like, I mean, I, I, I think, I think that in my case, and I I think many, many young people's case, and I think that this is probably more of like a, um, more attributable to, to, to younger, younger workers in, in the, in the workforce, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know that for sure, but at least, at least from, from what I've, from, from what I can hear and what I, what I can speak to people about, it's like a lot of people had to work at whatever job or their plans were derailed, you Mm -hmm. know, like you, you just have to grab what you can. And, um, I, I think that that model of desperation like caused certain employers I've heard of to, to act a little bit more radically than, than in other cases. In a negative way. In a negative way. Uh. Yeah, because, because you know that the, 
these workers need this job now more than ever. Oh, I see. You know, so so I, I, I think that I think that there was probably like some kind of social charade being played, charades being played where where workers were managing to to show up and, and to be present as well as they could. And now that things are opening up, I I imagine that people are starting to feel more like, oh, I have an opportunity to to maybe go back to what I was intending to do. Mm-hmm. But now I'm now I'm here. Now I'm now I'm over in a completely different place than than where I started this whole thing. So, so it's a transition period. That's what it feels like to me. I see. This feels like a shift. It feels like there's people are shifting back. Yeah, taking time for themselves, finally, like... Well, don't you think the the pandemic uh, caused everyone to go, wait a minute, I don't know my family. I, uh, The idea of an hour and a half commute, wait a minute, I don't have to... Once you experience not doing that, and you're doing your job from home, it seems like too much to ask. If you can do your job at home to make people travel or to live near the business or I think that's fair. I mean, I, I don't really I, I know that a huge portion of young people are in the service industry, you know? Like so I I, I feel like I feel like even, you know, I, I don't know if the quiet quitting is expanding to the sectors of work that have I think it is included that yeah I think it is well then that's that's interesting different businesses and different institutions I think everyone's going wait a minute what do I want to do and I wonder Mm. if part of it is also reading in the news that young people won't have a shot in hell of getting the kind of house their parents did that you can't you know and I mean, I'm seeing it with some people that you grew up with. They're just not able to do what they thought they would do. And they did everything right. They went to college. They picked a career. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I, how did we get screwed? Yeah. Speaking to my own experience, I feel like at a certain point, there is something very pessimistic. You know, even in L.A., like it, it was just released that like, you need to be making 300 grand at minimum to to have a house yeah. to have a single family home <laughs> um it's unbelievable and i i think i think that that actually causes me to work harder but not on an average career path you know right. i think that makes me go okay well i actually need to work at my job less because how much how much growth can I get there? Like, can I can I multiply my income by ten, or by mm. twenty, or or you know, uh, honestly by fifty to be comfortable? Like, it's a high standard for comfort, but like, no, I I need to I need to I need to find an alternative route into doing that, and ideally it's going to be something that I love, but the thing that I love, I'm going to have to work twelve hour days for you know, six months in order to get there, in order to even have a chance at competing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, 
so you have to be bold. You have to take your shot instead of what people were told, be a good worker, you'll climb the ranks, everything will work out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, to, to, to my limited experience, and I'm, uh, but I'm sure that, I'm sure that to some degree that's happening in a, a macro scale, and now is the perfect time because I, I, I feel like now, you know, at least we can breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it, I couldn't breathe before. There was no, yeah. there was no time for breathing. The the only thing that troubles me about it all is the way I see any kind of work. It work I like, work I especially work I don't like. If I kind of pull back and I do seventy percent, if I do a good enough job, my brain isn't having fun anymore unless it's a game unless it's like how can i how can i get this to be interesting to me how can i make this mundane thing that i have to do interesting and stay engaged it's like it's like i don't but this could just be me i don't know how to toggle back and forth between being engaged in my life and not being engaged being engaged and not being engaged and deciding it takes a lot of energy and thought for me to go uh I'm not going to do my best work so where where can I land this and be okay that's a that's a lot of figuring instead of just doing what I know is a good job and I don't mean in terms of hours but I mean you know that you can control you can say okay I'm staying at work these number of hours and while I'm there I am focused and I am interested in and engaged and when I leave work I leave that would work for me but it's it's like a lot don't do what do you think a lot of figuring a lot of mental calisthenics I I think that's I think that I land more more in that structure personally you you're know, just like, limiting the time but and that which is a privilege yeah which yes. is a major privilege yes true um because especially here i mean again i was listening to to the new york times daily today and and they were reporting that someone needed if they were making minimum wage you need three jobs to make rent in la so the fact that I have the opportunity to limit my time makes it so that I, I can be there, you know. I, I, can, I can fully be present and, and do my job to the best of my ability. Because, like you say, gamify it, you know. Like, yeah. there, there's almost nothing better to do. <laughs> right. It's better to just do a good job, in my opinion, than to not do a good job at all. Right. But, but somebody, and I know people that, are working two or three jobs, you know, or and I even know people who are working one job, and have have the experience where where they've said to me like, I you know I have a forty hour work week, but I once I get home, I have time to cook dinner, and work out, and then sleep. Yeah, it's, uh, no wonder people are leaving, you know, and going. You know what? I think I can do something else somewhere else. 
if I, I what I would it's, hope is that they're using that mental energy, that thirty percent or whatever, mm -hmm. to start to think about whatever What's else next? they're whatever else they're 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 cooking. I you hear know? you, I hear you. Um, but I did. I saw this Wired article that was making the rounds on the same topic, mm -hmm. and it like struck me, and I was like, "What? Like that feels weird." And then. <laughs> What I, what felt weird? Well, the the subject title. Mm. Uh, hold on, let me find it. To to paraphrase, the subject title was, uh, "Are you a victim of quiet quitting? Why don't you try getting a second job?" And then the the subheader was, um, "In in this age or whatever, like." Uh, people are finding more freedom in having a second job. And, <laughs> and it, it was weird to me. What? Um, because Wired has kind of made this, I don't know, I, I don't know if it was always incredibly capitalist, but lately I've, I've, I've been following it and it's almost like what politician is paying for, <laughs> oh, for these articles to be written. I see. Um, because it would be a big issue. It would be a big revolution if if a huge amount of the workforce were to suddenly revolt and you know like be like I I'm I'm only going to give you eighty percent and productivity around the world goes down twenty percent. What do you think? Remember that young man that you found on the internet? And we talked about in one of our earliest shows that he you know, said it was basically, I've got three minutes to brush my teeth that and then two minutes. Marky Mark, Mark, Mark Wahlberg. It, was it? It was Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. But it was a, it was a guy in business, I thought. Oh, it, I, I think there are other people, but Mark Wahlberg is also following that, that trend and that example. He has like 15 minutes allotted to spend time with his family, like oh my God. at different at different times of the day. He has like I think two family sessions in his schedule. And he wakes up at four and then works out and like for like I think four hours or something like so that. So we have these two things going on at once. Some people going, you know what? I've got to find my passion. This isn't working and this isn't worth it. And then we have these driven people trying to use it squeeze it sounds like squeezing every second out of their life yeah it makes me think that too much of our lives are being focused around productivity like you know yeah. in general like are you quiet quitting because you're thinking about something else or are you like spending enough time with your family because you have 24 hours in the day scheduled for for work and phone calls and working out or whatever i i don't know i don't know how you do that um and what about time to just allow yourself to be yeah well yeah going back to my my deep dive yeah this last week i've just i mean i've still had I, I say it like it's a you know I've I've had like probably in the last seven days I've had like three or four multi-hour sessions but it's not been every day and I've had I think two or three days where I've just done nothing. You You've know? allowed yourself to recover. And oh my god, yeah, huge difference. Yeah, everything works better, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, you just you just have a little bit of breath to you know go into the next stanza with you know like. Yeah, I, I I don't think the human brain and body is is built for this huge productivity. I think built into it is rest and balance. You know, it's. We have to be balanced. Did you learn anything? Because I remember there was a time in New Mexico, and I think while while we were living here, where you had call times that would be early, and then you'd end the day late. Um, like I think, what was it? Like your call time would be six a.m., and you'd be home at like midnight. I think frequently. Like, yeah. did you? A was that difficult for you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I didn't know another way. By by that time, it was like, well, I'm an actor. I really don't know where else to to what else to be or how to make money. It was my best shot, um, and I loved the work, but I never loved the waste of time. It's simply easier to keep actors hanging around than to figure out when you're going to need them, and it's cheap. You've bought them. So I would get enraged on days that I was not working and I wasn't with you and your brother. That was, uh, that was the difficulty. I could see the waste of time. I could see that uh, things could be done differently and they just weren't. And, uh, I, well, basically because I like to act, I love to act. But I don't love everything that goes with it. The, the waiting, the waste of time, the fact that they called me in at 6.30, but then they changed. And that's going to happen sometimes. But when it happens all the time because, hey, they own you, it's um, no one's going to get the best work out of you. you know. And But they don't think about keeping an actor happy or treating them right they just go hey you're lucky to have the job yeah it's always that which is something that i'm coming to face or understand a little bit in my own micro way like i felt like the dream was just to make a song that connected to people but like once you do that you just you're at the next stage of 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 the same exact hustle the same exact multi-year-long process but it's just a new different thing and it doesn't end it doesn't if you're 40 years old and really successful in art yeah. there's going to be and you've been successful for years there's going to be a whole new set of challenges that come your way and they're going to be probably more difficult than the ones that you were rubbing up against when you were you know just starting out or hoping to be able to start like yeah but creatively that's what keeps you fascinated. And that's what keeps you in the game, really. That, that it, it can be, I guess, that you're chasing a dream, and that's not great. But if you're playing the games in your head of, wait a minute, how do I do this? Ooh, I've never met this problem before, this issue. How do I, how do I get there? I was listening to Tom Waits talk, and that's a long career. And he's just as excited. It sounded to me like he's just as excited to work with musicians 
and just as worried about the session going right as what I hear you going through. And to me, that's engagement. And to me, that's the joy of work. That's that focus and that flow state. That's what it's all about. Hmm. There, there was an artist that you were, um, I think, telling me about, and I said, save it for the podcast. What was it? No idea. You don't know? No. The no. pollution guy? Oh, Brother Nut, yes. Brother Nut. Brother Nut, or Nut Brother. He's known by both names. And he's an artist in uh, China. And he does really daring things for uh, being in China. He's He set up this phone booth in the middle of a city and the phone would be ringing and someone of course you know it's the natural thing you pick up the phone and on the phone would be someone in this from this um area in China that is unbelievably polluted and they describe my throat is closing up the 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 air looks like this and the pollution is bad and my family and they would be desperately telling this per- whoever picked it up what it was like for them in this particular area. Do you know if it's an actor or if it's... No, no, it's, it's no, a, no. Yeah. It, was, it was real people telling their stories, desperate to tell their stories. And it was such, a, such an interesting art project of connecting and communicating and, you know, giving the finger to the government. Of course, it was shut down pretty pretty fast by the by the government yeah wow yeah he does i mean he does really interesting things he uh took a vacuum to the air in one city and made a brick out of it Hmm. to protest he's a protest artist he's he's in it's amazing to me that he's out there doing this stuff it's daring and that's that's also being an artist, putting it all out there. Just an aside, I heard this interesting story about a YouTuber in, like, I guess he was a Russian guy, and he was a political YouTuber, Russian by birth, but, mm-hmm. like, living in America. Uh-huh. And so he traveled to Russia, I think, at the very beginning of, of the invasion and, like, started to, like, spread little bits of truth and stuff. And was arrested, and then like his very next YouTube video was saying like, Russia is the best, and like I love Russia, it's amazing. But it was interesting because whoever was telling me about this story also shared that like when he got back to the states, he like said, yeah, you just if you just say that stuff, they'll let you go. <laughs> but I, yeah, which I had I hadn't I hadn't ever heard of like someone coming out and just being like, yeah, you just say this stuff, you know, like just get it over with. You mean not being devastated and humiliated by it. It's just like, get it over with. Right. Survive it. Yeah. And then get back. And or those stories typically like end, you know, at the, at the message. I feel like the, 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 the coverage of it at like ends once, once they say, I love China, I love Russia. Right. You know, there was a similar thing. One, one of the women who told her story, uh, uh, on the telephone uh, was made to recant just like that with, you know... Wow. Yeah, with a very dead 
tone to it all. That's crazy to me. Yeah. That's yeah. hard. Artists. Mm-mm-mm. Should we talk about what we're having for dinner? We are having, because I made an elaborate, rich, crazy dinner last night um, for guests, tonight I want uh, broiled salmon, rice, and I'm going to make a Caesar salad with kale. Nice. That's it. What do you do for Caesar dressing? Do you, uh, do you make your own Caesar dressing? Yeah, I do. I don't put an egg unless I've... You know, I know it's pasteurized, but I do use lemon juice, olive oil, garlic, and anchovy. No Worcestershire. I wish I had some Worcestershire sauce. Our our refrigerator broke, and I threw everything out, and that's just one of those things that you go, of course I have Worcestershire. Right. Of course I I have it. I had that two weeks ago. Right. I was like, yeah, I got more. Of course you (laughs) do. I don't know how to say it, but I have it. And now, because I threw everything out, it's like, oh. You have to keep it refrigerated, or, or just Yeah. Uh, even well, before I, you open it? No. Okay. No, no, no. It's all good. All right, cool. Well, so, simple, simple, easy dinner. Great. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs>